This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, March 18th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Before the next occupant of the White House arrives, Barack Obama might consider going to Congress to take steps to tyrant-proof the executive. So says Connor Friedersdorf, a columnist at The Atlantic. We spoke before an event entitled, Was the Libertarian Moment Wishful Thinking? Held this week. I like to ask uh, many of my friends of both political parties when they're defending some assertion of presidential authority, be they Republicans or, or Democrats, do you trust President X or will you trust President X with these powers? And uh, now I get to ask everybody pretty much equally, do you, will you trust President Trump with all the powers that uh, Presidents Bush and Obama seem to have uh, asserted? So your idea is that Congress and President Obama ought to take steps to as you say, de-tyrant or tyrant-proof? Tyrant-proof the White House. Tyrant-proof the White House. So what does that look like? Well, I think the attitude overall should be that of paranoid parents with a destructive toddler that's going to be coming into a new environment. And we need to think, okay, what's everything that could possibly go wrong with President Trump in the White House? And looking back to the fights over executive power during the Bush and Obama administrations and even the Clinton administration before that, unfortunately, there's a lot that can go wrong. Um, Just to pick one thing off of the top of my head, uh, the assassination of Anwar al-Awlaki, right? Here's President Obama setting the precedent that an American citizen can be killed in a drone strike without any due process and that this whole thing can ostensibly happen in secret. So Donald Trump could be sitting behind his desk one day and think, who should be killed? Okay, I'm going to put this person on the kill list. I have no obligation to inform Congress about this. I have no obligation to assemble any kind of evidence, have no formal process. This is the kind of thing where even President Obama, in my view, ought to think, okay, I trusted myself with this power, but maybe I don't trust President Trump with this power. Maybe I ought to take another look at these things that I've done, especially in the war on terror, um, but not exclusively, and pull back and think, well, what if we really do have someone who stands up at speeches and is willing to sort of transgress against the informal bounds of American political discourse in a way that we haven't seen in quite a while? Now, uh, for Republicans, uh, many of whom seem to like Donald Trump, they might be amenable to this idea because Hillary Clinton may well be occupying the White House uh, next year. Exactly. you know, the certainly the conservative movement ought to be amenable to this. I, I think that there are Republicans outside the conservative movement who will be chagrined that, oh, suddenly our guy gets in and now you want to pull back on the reins. Um, there's no perfect time to do this, obviously. If, if a president is elected, there's obviously a ton of people behind that person. But I do think that there's something about the elevation of Donald Trump where there would be this rare moment when the right and the left at least could maybe both agree that now is a good time to pull back. And because it's someone who isn't coming up from within the mainstream of the Republican Party, at least congressional Republicans might think, okay, we're going to seize some power and have a kind of self-interested moment for the legislative branch. And, and you know, in the way that Madison assumed that the Congress would zealously represent its own institutional interests and fight for power uh, in a way that it really hasn't over the last 10 years, where it's abdicated on a bunch of questions. And, you know, There are times when President Obama has said, OK, Congress, I want you to vote about whether we should engage in this foreign war or not. 
And I've kind of said, well, no, we, we don't really want to cast that vote. We don't want to really decide. We want to pass the buck to you. And for President, for President Obama's part, uh, when he has asserted that uh, he has full authority to go along with something that he wants to do, he does it. Yeah. And then when he says, uh, well, I'm going to re- ask Congress to vote on this, probably means he doesn't want to do it. Sure. Well, he – and you know, going forward, even President Sanders, who is possibly the person who would cause the least mischief in the executive branch with executive orders um, just by virtue of his um, reticence to go to war and his kind of anti-surveillance stance, there's a lot of things that he doesn't want to do anyway that presidents have tended to do in the last couple of administrations. Even he's saying, I'm going to use my executive authority to do a bunch of stuff on immigration. Um, With a Democrat, though, the political landscape gets a little bit different. I'm going to read you a quote. Uh, This is someone talking about the perfect leader for our times. Quote, we found the perfect leader for America's moment of permanent constitutional crisis, a person who cares more about results than process, who cares more about winning the battle than being well-liked, and a person who believes in asking what they can get away with rather than what would look best. And you'd think for all the world, oh, that must be you know Breitbart.com waxing eloquent about why Donald Trump is going to be perfect for this moment. But no, in fact, it was written by Matt Iglesias at Vox long before the rise of Donald Trump, and he was speaking favorably, in his view, about Hillary Clinton and how she's the perfect person to come in and use executive authority to get these progressive priorities done. It's, it, I mean, the, the, the actual substance of the quote, at least to me, sounds terrifying. It does. And, you know, so if it's a president, Hillary Clinton, certainly you're going to have one of the two main political parties that is going to acquiesce to executive power. Uh, So hopefully you'll have enough Republicans in the legislature to at least stand up and say, well, we're going to fight for the institutional interests of the legislative branch. But it's an interesting moment where depending on who the president is, the coalition willing to rally around this project looks very different. Let's get to some of the details here. I remember a few years ago, Jim Sensenbrenner asked the uh, Congressional Research Service for a list of all the crimes. And uh, the Congressional Research Service could not provide that list of all the crimes, all the federal crimes to him because they said it would uh, be, they didn't have the manpower to do it. And so in the, the long history in the, in the 20th century, the United States, at least Congress and the president, have agreed to create all these new crimes. There are all sorts of federal agencies that are somehow able to create crimes out of regulations as well. It seems a, a, a monumental task to begin the process of trying to prevent a uh, a chief executive who wants to make use of uh, unprecedented powers uh, to get what he wants. It, there was actually a, a fight just recently about whether the government ought to have to prove uh, knowledge and intent of committing a crime in order to convict someone. And it was packaged as part of criminal justice reform, this kind of area that parts of the right and parts of the left are uh, thankfully starting to agree on. And this was a sticking point because the left was saying, oh, well, this is going to let some imagined evil corporate CEO get away with, uh, you know, not being punished for the malfeasance of his underlings or something. 
um, it, it, uh, it it's unfortunate that that was a stumbling block for first of all, a reform that would have actually done the most to help impoverished people who can't afford the highest priced lawyers in the world to defend them and whatnot. Um, but again, yes, looking to how a Trump administration might use the regulatory state, uh, there's just tremendous ability to find little regulations that, you know, we're all breaking federal laws all of the time that we don't even know about because there's so many of them. And uh, it's Again, it, it'll be interesting to see if Trump is elected, if right and left will come back to something like that, and the left will kind of change their minds. And again, if Hillary Clinton is elected, I think, no, they're going to keep going on the same trajectory and bet that she's not going to abuse power in a way that they don't like. If this tyrant-proofing of the White House is to occur, uh you have to sort of hope for a President Trump, don't you? Well, it's a double-edged sword. Who knows if the tyrant proofing would actually work? Uh, no matter what you do, uh, the President just has tremendous power by virtue of sitting in the White House no matter what the law says. We rely, I think, in the United States on informal as much as formal constraints um, at, at this point because there's been such a hollowing out over the years. And I do think that President Obama taking executive actions now to strike some of his own powers, to make it a little harder, to force Donald Trump to actually reverse things instead of just having the groundwork laid, for example, could make a difference, even though anything that Obama can do with an executive order, President Trump can undo, of course. And I would much rather have Congress step in and say, you know, no, thou shalt not torture and all of the rest. Um, again, it would at least be another informal thing where there would be a reporter who would write a headline and it would, uh, you know, Trump reverses X and we would talk about it instead of it just being in place. So even as a symbolic measure that uh, President Obama takes uh, himself to present um, a line in the sand, essentially, that, well, I may have crossed this line, but I don't want anyone else to do it. And its legitimacy would arguably increase if he does it now before it's clear whether it's Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump, Ted Cruz. If he does it now, uh, to me, the legitimacy in increases considerably than if he waits until it is Trump and, and only then does it. So if he meets with uh, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell in mid-November uh, 2016, that may uh, that would make it less legitimate in your eyes. I think it would make it less legitimate. It wouldn't make it less legitimate in my eyes. I agree with that regardless, <laughs> but I think it would make it less legitimate in the country's eyes and it would make, uh, you know, whoever the next president is, I think it would make Donald Trump or even a Ted Cruz less likely to abide by whatever the deal was. You are here uh, today to debate this question of the libertarian moment and whether or not it ever existed. Uh, a year ago, two years ago at this time, Rand Paul was viewed as somebody who uh, would be the standard bearer for this idea that uh, the, the federal government is too large, spends too much money, uh, kills people without proper authority, and uh, is involved in way too many areas of, of people's lives. That seems to have fallen away almost completely as the election of 2016 approaches? I think for libertarians, one unfortunate feature of trying to get what they want done in a two-party system is that any of the good ideas that they have um, that are also popular, that are also 
viable are going to be snapped up by other candidates uh, who aren't necessarily libertarian. And it's going to be co-opted just by the nature of the system that we're in. But that's a good and, thing. Oh, it's a, it's a great thing. Um, every time one of those issues is co-opted, we should all be cheering and saying, OK, well, it's advancing liberty. It doesn't matter if the politician who did it um, has an imaginary little L by their name uh, or a capital L, whatever the case may be. Um, so you know, I, I don't read too much into Rand Paul's presidential prospects not going anywhere. To me, a mistake that Rand Paul made in positioning himself was that I think he angered a few libertarians in an attempt to prop up his conservative bona fides. And he ironically did this at the exact time that the, conserv that the wheels were coming off the conservative movement and Donald Trump shows that you could be a candidate for the presidency and be a heretic on uh, you know, almost everything. Almost everything. You could have National Review literally dedicating an issue to say no, not this guy, and yet still there he was. So it, it I think in hindsight, Rand Paul would probably um, run a more libertarian campaign and couldn't have done worse. Perhaps would have done better. I, I also there are obviously um, in every election there are a tremendous number of things that are going to be threats to people who prioritize freedom and liberty. This election is certainly no different in some ways. Maybe it's uh, worse than elections we've had in the past. At the same time, I see big gains for libertarians in the immediate past, and I see the prospect of significant gains in the future. Just to take one example that we've touched on a little bit, um, criminal justice reform strikes me as something where you, you could have talked to libertarians and described the rise of video technology 20 or 30 years ago. And if you would have told them how ubiquitous it is now, they would have thought, oh, God, that's, it sounds like an Orwellian nightmare. Big Brother is going to be able to watch everywhere. And that's a concern. At the same time, at the moment, the spread of video technology, ironically, the biggest effect seems to be that we've turned it on the police and we now have a better idea of police abuses than ever before. Um, we're literally forcing the agents of the state in lots of places to wear cameras on their bodies so that they can be held accountable. And if you think about infringements on liberty, um, if you think about taking away people's freedom, um, what does it more fully than wrongfully shooting someone or wrongfully locking someone in a cage for years on end? And so we have the prospect right now of significantly reducing that. Um, in the immediate future. there Again, there are conservatives who like this libertarian impulse. There are liberals who like this libertarian impulse. And I'm optimistic about the chance of significantly reducing the number of people that the state wrongfully kills and wrongfully cages. And so something like that, I can still feel optimistic about a libertarian moment even as the presidential candidates um, don't seem to be very libertarian at all. Connor Friedersdorf is a columnist at The Atlantic. You can watch the full event, Was the Libertarian Moment Wishful Thinking? at our website, cato.org.